finishing up this series about Jesus and he is better, he is greater than all that have gone before him. And in the Bible, the Bible is filled with with stories about people. And they're not just stories, it's really an historical account of people who have gone before Jesus. And so all of these stories, all these histories, all of these prayers, are, they're, they're in this collection of, of books that we call the Bible. And the, what the Bible is, it's... I get a little flustered when people call it like the, the owner's manual for humanity. And, and, I, and I understand the, the, the spirit in that. But really what the scripture is, it's God's revelation of himself to his church, to the people. It's God saying, this is who I am. This is who you are in relation to who I am. And everything in the Bible, every story in the Old Testament is kind of a foreshadowing pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to the reconciliation that he will bring, pointing us to that when the time was perfect, God sent his son to walk among us as one of us, to show us the way, to reconcile us back to himself, Everything points to Jesus. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's very obvious. Like, you know, we talked about Isaac last week in, in that story. And even Jim went back a few weeks ago. And there's so many nuances of that story. You could say, yeah, that's, uh, look, at, look at, you know, the sacrifice. And all this just kind of pointing at Jesus. But sometimes it's a little bit more, you have to, you have to let the story marinate a little bit more. And, and, but, it, but it all is God's revelation pointing us to his son. All of it. There's a story in the Old Testament, this guy by the name of Jonah. And he's called by God to do a very specific task. God says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. The place is horrible. And I'm paraphrasing. This is the book of Dennis. So, and it's horrible. And I need you to preach against it because the wickedness has just, it's come up in my face. And so, Jonah, being the good, God-fearing man he is, he says, no. Um, I think that I'm going to run away from God. But it's interesting, the thing about God is that um, you can't really run away from God. He has this way of keeping track of us. But I just want to read the story. I'm going to put it up on the... The screen, it's, it's a little Jonah verse 1. I'm going to actually start in, um, in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. So this is the way the story goes. So God says, Jonah, go, the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the, that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish." And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. The lots, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? The Lord knew he was running. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So that's, that's the story of Jonah. God says, Jonah, I, I need you to do something. I need you to go to the city. It's a horrible place. People are sinning. In fact, it's so wicked that, that the wickedness has risen before me. And I want you to preach to them. I want you to say, get it together or things are not going to end well for you at all. In fact, the, the, um, the prophecy that he gives them later on in the book says, in 40 days, this, this city is going to be leveled. And so Jonah says, mm, no. And he jumps onto a ship. And, and the way it's written in the original language, it, it kind of alludes to that he paid the fare, the entire fare for the ship, because he didn't want to wait around. He didn't want to wait for other passengers to get on the ship. So he just pays everything, gets on the ship, and sails away. He's exhausted, maybe because, because running from God is kind of tiring. So he heads downstairs. He falls into this deep sleep. Now, God sends this storm to show Jonah, dude, you can't hide from me. I mean, really, I'm God, and, and you're, you're not. And there's consequences that are going to be for your disobedience. Because ultimately, God wants the people of Nineveh to be saved. He wants salvation to come to them. He doesn't want his wrath to pour out upon them. He wants his grace and mercy to pour out upon them. See, that the, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. It, it's kind of like, it, it can take your breath away, but, it, but, it's, but it's part of his character and it's part of his nature. And so is his, his mercy and his justice. God's wrath is a righteous wrath. And he doesn't want to have to take that wrath out, pour that wrath out on these people. And so he wants Jonah to go and tell them, guys, you're, you're, you're not doing what you need to be done, and it's not going to end well. So the storm breaks out. Jonah's sleeping. He says, well, I'm going to sacrifice my life so that you can be saved. You got to throw me over this, throw me into the sea. Now, you know the story, the big old fish comes up, swallows him, and that's God's mercy on Jonah for running. And he's in, he's in the belly of the fish, the whale, I don't know what kind of fish, for three days and three nights. Are you beginning to see the connection here? And eventually it says in the scripture that the fish kind of swims up on the shore and regurgitates. I'm not quite sure that's the right word. And out comes Jonah. I'm sure he's covered with fish schmutz and he's just like reeking bad. And in the belly he, re- he realized, he repented. He knew that he was running from the Lord. But he still didn't want to do it. He still, he still was angry at God that he was going to save sinners. How dare he save sinners? But he finally goes and he preaches the word. Nineveh repents of their sin. They fast, they pray, and God pulls away his wrath. 
for now, at least, they've been saved. Though Jonah, he's, God's still got some work to do, he still was pretty upset with God because he didn't like the fact of God's grace and mercy being poured out on people that he thought did not deserve it as God has poured out his grace and mercy on all of us. But now fast forward a long time. And there is this another incident that takes place on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And there's this main character that God has sent to preach repentance to people. But he is different. See, he is going to fully embrace the calling. And he's not going to run from it. And he finds himself with, with his buddies, these fishermen. And they're on this boat and this big storm kicks up. We're going to look at Luke's version in his gospel. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Very similar story. Both men are sent to preach. Both men would give their lives to save others. Sailors and fishermen seasoned on the boat, freaking out. The storm that, that rocked Jonah's boat was from the hand of God to teach Jonah a lesson. And now God would send another storm, but this time to teach the disciples a very powerful truth. Jonah offered to save the men. Jesus offers to save ultimately all of us. But the difference here is very interesting, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. Jesus saved them from this storm. Now, he's come off a long day of ministry. He's arguing with, with religious leaders. The crowds are pressing in on him. Uh, his, his mother and his brothers, they, they think they've, he's lost his mind, and they've come to kind of take him home because maybe they don't want to ruin the family name. Now, he gets into the boat. He moves to the front, and he falls into a very deep sleep. You know, you know that you know that sleep where you're sitting on the couch and you're so tired and things just seem to go and you just feel foggy. It's, it's that woo sleep. And then when you, when you finally hit the pillow, it's almost like you're legally dead for a while. You're just out cold. It's, it's that sleep. And so they're sailing, and in, in Mark's story, in, in Luke's, um, I'm sorry, Matthew's account, there's, there's ships with him, and they're all set out on the lake in this big, Storm hits. In Matthew's version, it says it, it felt like an earthquake. There was this violent shaking of the seas. Here in Luke's, the way Luke tells it, the, the wind was like a, a hurricane wind. And the boat begins to be swamped with water. These seasoned fishermen, these seasoned fishermen are terrified. These guys are, are not rookies. Whatever this storm is, it seems that they may have not ever experienced one like it on the water. And they don't know what to do. 
I, I would think they're, they're running around. They got to pull in the sails. They got to make sure that they're not losing men over the side. They take their buckets and they're bailing out the boats to try to keep it from sinking. But this storm is going to reveal to them the power of God. This storm would teach them who Jesus is, who Jesus is in their own lives, and who Jesus is in his divinity. That even when the natural seems to overtake us, Jesus is still more powerful than that. There's this principle that's um, playing itself out, I I believe, here and in our own lives. And and I I admit, man, it frustrates me a lot of times. And and I don't even, it's not easy for for me anyway to grasp. And and it's one of those things that I I don't even like to preach. I I really don't. Um, But it's, as I read the scripture, it seems that through trials and tribulations, and frustrations and difficulties, we mature and we grow spiritually. Now, please don't think that God had looked at you one day and said, you know, I think, I think she needs to grow spiritually. Let me give them something really hard and difficult in their life. I don't believe that's the case. But the Lord knows and we know that we live in this broken world that's been broken, shattered by sin. And what I find the tension in our faith is, in my faith anyway, and I could be alone, is the very one who could have stopped the difficulty, stopped the failure, stopped the tragedy from happening, is the very one that didn't. And he's the one we have to go to for our strength. And for our courage. And within those places, part of that strength is our maturing process in the faith. I believe it's the tension we all live in as Christians and and the brokenness of this world. If you read the desert fathers and mothers, the the people who have long gone, um, you know, 1200s, 1300s, 1100s, they would say that the only way to grow spiritually is through affliction. In my heart, I've offered God the opportunity of an experiment. Because if that's the case, I want to try him blessing me with a million dollars. And if I don't grow spiritually, we'll know that the affliction part works. He doesn't have to give me another one. I'll take that one and we can experiment, right? But it really does seem that we grow through affliction. And so we, we like to unpack this story very neatly and, and very cleanly, right? There's this, this linear process, this linear thought process. We all have storms in our lives and some are much worse than others. If you have yet to experience one of these storms, you probably will because we live in this broken world. And, and no one is perfect. You may be, the, you may be um, the receiver of the storm, or you just may be a storm in someone else's life. That's just the reality of it. And I know that there are times within those storms that you feel like you're drowning. 
and you can't catch your breath and the waves are just crashing over the side and you, there just seems to be no way out of this and you're drowning. The disciples felt that way in a very physical way. And it almost seems like that Jesus is a bit out of touch with what's going on. He's sound asleep. In his humanity, Jesus is exhausted. He needs some downtime. The storm is raging. Seasoned fishermen are on this boat freaking out. And Jesus, Jesus is asleep. <laughs> now, I, I, if, if I'm honest, and, and I know that, that we, we, we get nervous about being honest in church, but, but if I'm honest... I honestly feel that way sometimes. Like, um, hello, God. Do you see what's happening over here? Are you even aware that I'm going through this? Do you even care? I mean, those are real feelings that's, that, that have crept up in me during those storms in life. And there are times, I know, that we all make this, this assumption that we are we're left alone. And that no one really cares, no one really sees, including God. Again, the one that could put an end to it allows it to go forward. And it's that tension that we live in in faith. But I want to tell you something. God knows everything about us. He knows, he knows when your heart rate has gone up because you are suffering from an anxiety attack. He knows exactly how many tears have streamed down your face as you were crying. He knows exactly what time you fell asleep and he knows exactly the dream that woke you up in a cold sweat. He knows everything about us. He knows our past. He knows us every second in this moment, in the present. And since he stands out of time, outside of time, he is with us even in our future. And that's something we just can't get our minds around. We have never been left alone, not even for one second, no matter how lonely we feel. Whatever storm has kicked up, we have never been left alone alone. Now, I love the way the disciples, they, they, they come up to Jesus, right? So, so the storm is just kind of raging on, and they, they, don't, they don't come up with their best King James to say, oh, Father, or Lord, Master Jesus, sir, would thou shutteth down the waves as thou we don't drowned? They're freaked out. They probably, like, rock it. Are you awake? Are you seeing this? We are going to drown. They come to him full-blown fear and anxiety. Jesus, we're going to drown. In Matthew, will you save us, please? Mark's account, are you, are you with us? How can you sleep during this? There's no calmness. There's no proper attitude. There's just the raw emotion of what they're experiencing in that moment. The brokenness that they are feeling in that moment. And Jesus gets up. I imagine he sits there for a second and he's like, ooh, I'm in this fire up. Wipes his eyes a bit, stands up, and he rebukes the storm. He tells it, it's enough. Be still. A literal translation, be muzzled. And as quickly as this thing shot up, it 
was quiet. The wind and the waves listened to Jesus. You can imagine what those disciples thought. I mean, they expected him to do something. I'm not sure what they expected him to do. They were kind of freaked out at what exactly happened. Probably starry-eyed, jaws drop, and they're like, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves listen to him. I mean, if I could just have a little bit of that last Wednesday, we would still be snowed in. But I was lied to. I digress. I'm sorry. Don't. And Jesus stands up and he asks the question, where's your faith? Hey, guys, where, where, where's your faith? And you know, I, I, I do quite a bit of study for my preparation of, of preaching. And I read, I read theologians that are a lot smarter than I am and have studied the scripture a lot longer. And what I found is the majority of all the scholarship when they write about this instance, what they say is Jesus is rebuking his disciples. Where's your faith? Almost like he's agitated that they woke him up. Really? Like, I'm Jesus. You think you're going to drown? Where's your faith? And, and the commentators, they, they, what they talk about is, um, like, like, like he's, he's, he's almost like, the, the disciples were stupid to think that ultimately the boat would swamp, be swamped and they would drown. But, you know, I, I have a lot of trouble with that way of thought. I, I really do. And, and, and I get it, though. I, I understand it. Um, I understand why, you know, that, you know, in every storm of life, Jesus is with us. But, you know, sometimes... And I get to talk to a lot of people. Sometimes, the storm seems to win. The storm seems to win. The relationship gets broken. The divorce is final. You lost your job, and then you lost your house. And that person, you prayed and prayed and prayed, but they still, they still died. Sometimes it feels like the storm wins. And that's the reality I see in life. And I just can't look at this and read this and say that in every storm, Jesus, Jesus calms the storm in the exact way that we think the storm should be calmed. And so the question I guess we have to wrestle with is what is Jesus talking about? And when he asks them, where's your faith? I do believe it's a, a slight little rebuke, but I think it's gentle. I don't believe Jesus is harsh in this instance anyway. He's like, hey guys, like where's your faith? I want you guys to know that even if the boat goes down, even if we're swamped and it capsizes, I want you to know I'm with you. No matter what, I am with you. Even when it ends badly, I am with you. Don't ever think I would abandon you in the storm. Don't ever think I would just get up and leave you there. I 
am with you. The scripture tells us, Psalm 121, that the Lord doesn't sleep or slumber. He is with us. Where is our faith? Do we believe that we've been abandoned in that storm? Even when the tragedy hits, we haven't. Jesus is with us. He's always with us. And Matthew 28 says, even to the end of the age, Jesus is with us. In this story, we see the power of God put on display to show us that no matter what, whether it be spiritual, in the spiritual, or in the natural, God is still in control. And he hasn't left us. And he's always with us. Psalm 67 Psalm 89, Psalm 107, it can go on and on. They all write about how, how God uh, rules creation and how he, he, um, he rules the seas, especially the raging seas. They're all, they're all part of his creation. And, and what we have to understand, I believe, as you study the scripture, that in the Hebrew mindsets, when they talk about sea, when they talk about ocean, when they talk about even a raging storm at sea, it paints this picture for them of the idea of chaos. See, chaos is the opposite of God for the Hebrew. Evil is not the opposite of God. Chaos is the opposite of God. That's why in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the seas, over the sea. And in the Hebrew mindset, what they're saying is that the spirit of the Lord was hovering over this chaos because it was formless, it was void, it had nothing going on. And as the spirit of the Lord is hovering over this chaos, he begins to speak. And he says, let there be light. And he begins to bring order to the chaos. Day after day, he begins to order it. And then if we we go right to the end of the scripture, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, John writes that, that he sees a new heaven and a new earth coming down. And the old heaven and the old earth has passed and there is no more sea, S-E-A. Because when the Lord returns, there will be no more chaos. He has overcome it all. And ultimately... The storms that we suffer in our lives, they bring chaos to us. Whether it be inner or outer or in the physical, it feels like our lives are turned upside down. Things get out of control. And many times it's because that things are out of control. Because we can't control everything that happens in our world, in our life, even within our family. And it's in those moments, in those moments where the chaos seems to be ruling, that we have to remember we are not left alone. Jesus will speak into that chaos and quiet the storm. And so we press in by faith. I wish I can tell you order can come all at once. But sometimes it takes time. The healing takes time. The brokenness takes time. Jesus putting us back together takes time. 
reconciliation of relationships takes time. Getting over those we've lost, it takes time. God could have created the earth without any process at all. Just boop, there it was. But it took time. Light, day, trees, seas, land. It took time. But he spoke order into the chaos. And so where is our faith? Don't ever think you've been abandoned. Don't ever think you're going it alone. Even if the world has left your side, Jesus will never do it. In the no matter what of life, he walks with you. He is in the boat with you. And eventually, the storm will quiet. Sometimes it's not the way we had hoped Sometimes it's not the way we plan, not even the way we prayed for. But ultimately, the storm will quiet, and he will bring blessing in the chaos. He will bring light into the darkness. He will get you to the other side of the lake in his time. And so, Father, as we prepare to celebrate the ultimate sacrifice of your son. I pray that going forward, we would never feel for a moment we have been abandoned, no matter what the storm that we're experiencing. No matter what, may your spirit instill upon us the truth that you are with us. You will never forsake us. You will never leave us. May your grace abound. Church, I want to bless you in the spirit of God that you will know, that you will feel physically, spiritually, emotionally the presence of the Lord each and every moment of your day. May grace be with you. I love you guys. We'll see you next week for our Easter celebration or Thursday night from Monday Thursday. Peace.